six years ago, our family went to an event we'd never attended before um, called the Atlanta Food Swap. It was hosted by an organization called Homestead Atlanta. Uh, Usually it's just a food swap, but that particular month, they opened it up to anything handmade. And because I was on the mailing list for Homestead Atlanta, I got the notification. So I sent my husband the details. Uh, We set aside an hour or so on Sunday afternoon and went over to this really cool place in Atlanta called the Goat Farm. Um, The Goat Farm is such an interesting place. If you Google it, you'll find out a lot about it. If you've ever seen any of the Marvel movies or series, you have seen the Goat Farm. There are some buildings on the back of this large piece of land that's really in the middle of Atlanta that are, they're like old warehouses, like cotton warehouses and and that sort of thing, mills um, that are mildly to very decrepit, depending on which building it is. And they use them very frequently in Marvel sets when those films are made here in Atlanta. At the time, they were being used for filming The uh, the Walking Dead. So I, I think that's what sold my husband on doing it. But by the time we left, we'd actually had sort of this seminal experience as a family that we did not anticipate that I wouldn't trade for a million dollars. I'm Deborah Mobies from Whipstitch, and on this episode of the Whipstitch podcast, I'm talking about adventures in sewing and crafting, and the things that we learn about ourselves, our community, and hope for the future. Thanks for listening. So this was all happening back in 2015. Um, Around the same time, my sister was getting married, and she had asked me, as my gift to her, if I would provide cloth napkins for her reception. We're a big cloth napkin family. If you go on the Whipstitch site, you can download tutorials and instructions and measurements for making your own cloth napkins. At the time, for her wedding, it wasn't like a huge wedding, but she needed... I actually can't remember the number, but I really do think it was 200 napkins plus table runners. And she had picked this amazing Robert Kaufman Brussels washer, like silvery gray linen rayon blend, which made spectacular napkins, I'd like to say. And I I mitered some corners for those. Um, So I was sort of in the napkin zone at the time. It didn't seem like a big leap to make more. And this email about the Atlanta food and craft swap indicated that any handmade item was eligible for the first time ever. So I thought everyone needs cloth napkins, right? I thought, you know, a group of people who are largely growing and making their own food that they're interested in bartering at a a food swap, like that seems like the crowd who would appreciate and be interested in cloth napkins. So I buckled down for two hours that day and in the, you know, sort of after lunch in the morning in there, I made four sets of four napkins to take and swap. Um, I assumed some people would bring different like crafty items to trade, and um, but the invitation indicated that some people just come to watch and to visit and to see friends. I figured four napkins was a good starting point for one set. Um, it was also all I really had time for. Um, And then on the way out the door. So keep in mind, this was 
So this was six-ish years ago, and my youngest child had just turned five. Um, on the way out the door that day, the two littlest ones got really excited because we told them, so we're going to go to a craft swap. They find out where we're going, and they run to their rooms to get pieces of art that they had made to swap with other people. And I had like this this moment, this sort of like protective mom moment and thought to myself, um, you guys, because I was thinking like, who's going to swap for these drawings? What if nobody wants their baby art? They were, you know, five and six at the time. What if these people who I'd never met, I'd never been involved with this organization, I'd never worked with them before. What if they're offended or irritated? that little kids have brought their marker drawings on a ripped piece of construction paper to this event and want to trade them. And then I had another moment. Um, And this was where the start of the unexpected transformation began. I realized I was thinking of their drawings as art, like art in quotation marks, and not art, like actual art. And to be honest, I was 100% belittling their abilities. It was this sort of critical thought that was unconscious, where, you know, oh, yeah, baby, mommy loves your drawing, and then you toss it in the garbage can, or um, the fact that small children, especially my children, crank out truly astonishing volumes of art can, well, maybe not can, but for in my case anyway, did lead to, um, you know, a certain level of dismissiveness where it didn't seem as valuable because we just had a lot of it. And I caught myself thinking that, like, this is not really art. I mean, it's not really art, but why not? Right? Like, why isn't it really art? What what defines art? I mean, I don't want to get nobody all wound up so you stop listening, but Jackson Pollock, people, come on. I like I get, I hear what you're saying. He changed modern art. I don't like it. I don't think it looks like it takes a lot of skill. So, um if Jackson Pollock stuff can hang at the MoMA, my kids can make art. Yeah? There are chickens who are selling their art literally right this second. So, what if nobody wants my children's drawings? You know, it's awesome that my children thought highly enough of themselves that they wanted to take their art. They thought their art was worthy, you know, and isn't that, isn't that something to be proud of? So what if one of these people is offended or irritated? What a great way to learn that these are not our people. Because somebody who frowns or sneers at a five or a six-year-old child who proudly and enthusiastically wants to trade their art for, you know, whatever, is not cool enough to hang out with my children. And that was sort of, (laughs) so I'm not saying I, I didn't grow right away. I went from I went from becoming conscious of the degree to which I didn't think of my kids art as being quote unquote real art to being their advocate even though it was tinged with a little bit of defensiveness so so we go I stuffed my protests down my throat I cheered my children on I caught myself saying well you know 
And then I said, you know what? Come on. Good for you. You make art. And what you make with your two hands is good enough. It is valuable enough. It is worthy enough for you to think that another person who is not your parent might treasure it. Let's take that palm-sized big pen drawing of an elephant on light blue construction paper. We will swap that bad boy out. You bring along your smelly marker drawing of outside. Like my five-year-old had a picture that I was like, I don't know what this is, but it smells like blueberries. What is this, sweetie? And she goes, it's outside. Okay. And the sparkly puppy stickers? What's, uh, what's, it's outside. All right. Let's see who would like to have that for their own. Let's make that happen. So we, uh, we get this wicker basket. We load it up with napkins. I took some salvage edges from the sewing room and I tied them around the napkins to keep them in like little bundles. And we took their art and we hit the road and we drove down to the goat farm to this event. And everyone was so lovely. Um, I, I don't think that I, well, I know for a stone cold fact that at the time, what I now characterize as severe anxiety, I did not call it that then. Um, I thought that I had a healthy cynicism about the world. <laughs> I definitely was suffering from anxiety attacks. Um, and I really was churning on the inside on the way there. I really, I didn't, these are strangers. I don't even like to park at a new place, you guys. So, you know, my husband calls me from the office and says, hey, you want to go out tonight? Meet me at fill in the blank. And I'm like, um, I'm going to take an Uber because I don't want to have to figure out parking places in unfamiliar environments. <laughs> I definitely don't do great showing up somewhere with strangers and making myself available. This was a very new experience for me. And doing that where I felt like it was my job to carry the children as well, it was not. Um, but that's where I, that's what I felt at the time. I, I really had a lot of tension on the way there. We get there and everybody was so lovely, welcoming, encouraging. Have you done this before? No? All right, we'll walk you through it. They were great. So we filled out slips of paper. They had all these tables. It was in this room lined with bookshelves, just a really lovely room, um, very like old school coffee house vibe. Nothing matched, but everything went together. Um, and on each of the tables, they had space filled out where you could put your your wares, you know, whatever it was you'd brought to trade, and fill out a slip of paper. You'd write your name on it, and you'd write a description of what you brought, um, and then put it down on the table so that people could walk around, you know, almost like a silent auction. Even the kids did this. They put their art down, and they filled out their slip of paper. And I really, at that point, had made the commitment that, that if I was going to turn this over to them, I was going to turn this over to them. And I... I had them fill out the forms themselves, the whole nine yards. Unexpectedly, like none of this is like, I'm just good at this. I think I did a good job. I'm proud of how I showed up. But this was all instinct and hope. (laughs) Um, Something about having them fill out that piece of paper gave them permission to consider themselves equals to every other swapper there. And I loved watching that. That was just really... It was a new side of them that I hadn't seen before. I was not necessarily seeing them as my child, i.e. someone who's connected to me intimately, but rather I was seeing them as little people. Uh, and that felt that felt fresh. So uh, we met some super nice folks. They all seemed curious. They were excited about other people's goods. 
Um, we walked around. We added our names to slips of papers for different items we wanted to swap for. You know, like I really like the way they set it up, like a silent auction. It made it easy. Um, but then you kind of step back and watch because um, most people only had a few of each thing, and if they had more offers to swap than they had items to trade, they could go and like work out a deal with the other person. So if you came over and said, "Hey, I've got four napkins, and you've got." you know, avocado, chio, chocolate pudding, um, but you don't want napkins and I want avocado, chia, chocolate pudding, which I do, then, you know, there's like, you got to swap evenly or you got to figure out a way to, to swap between three people instead of just two. You know, there's a little negotiation going on. This is not an anonymous process. I don't think I would have encouraged my kids to do it if I'd appreciated how intimate it is to swap handmade items face to face. So we sat back and we watched, right? Honestly, everybody there, me and my husband for sure, but I really think every adult there was watching the kids' papers. Is anyone going to put their name down? Does anybody want to trade for their art? It was kind of nerve-wracking. Our son's slip of paper got the first name. It was from a woman who had decoupaged coasters. Um, so they were ceramic coasters and she had designed the tops of them and then put a protective acrylic sealant on it. Um, he was elated. I was way more elated. I think I made eye contact with my husband and realized I wasn't going to be able to do that again because we both started to tear up a little bit. Um, I let out this breath that I didn't know I was holding. I was nervous that we would have to walk through what rejection feels like, you know? Anytime you make something with your hands, you are putting yourself out there. And not everybody's gonna like what you make. I have a very clear memory of when I started out sewing clothing professionally and I was designing kids' clothes and I took a spot, a booth at a local artist co-op and I'd never done anything like this before. I had a brand new baby. I remember when I negotiated the space at the co-op, I actually had my baby strapped to my chest when I went and spoke to the owner. And I, I put all of the first round of things that I had made in the booth uh, the week before Thanksgiving. And then we went to my mom's for Thanksgiving and I was just convinced that I was gonna come back to an empty booth. And I came back and not one thing had sold and had to, you know, sort of face that sense of, oh, oh, have I failed? Is it too soon? Like, I, you know, I there were a lot of feelings to work through. And I had not forgotten that as I watched my son going through this same experience, similar experience. So when one person walks by and puts her name on that slip of paper, man, oh, no, <laughs> I was so, I didn't realize I'd been holding my breath. A few folks put their names down for my napkins. Um, I, I was way less wrapped up in that emotionally than I was, well, in getting the avocado chocolate chia pudding. But also, I wanted to watch my kids. So all of us now are watching my youngest child's slip of paper. It stayed empty for an eternity. And then finally, finally, we walk around and, look, and we're like, you know, we're doing the thing where you walk around, you pretend you're not looking. I'm not looking. I'm not worried. Everything's fine. And finally, we go by and we peek and she had two, two offers to swap for her drawing. 
One was for some cookies and another was for these like sticky, gooey, amazing granola bars that I confess I was like, oh, you should totally pick the granola bars. She was beside herself. I was beside myself. Um, in the end, at the end of that day, we headed home with a healthy tomato plant, a bouquet of fresh hydrangeas, um, a jar of basil kale pesto, and a jar of chocolate avocado chia pudding. <laughs> we had a container of almond turmeric cayenne dip. Um, I think the person with the pesto and the cayenne dip was the same person, I'm pretty sure. So all of those were traded for the napkins. Um, my children came home, one with a coaster, which has a map on it that he still keeps on his bedside table to this day, and the other with a bag of cookies. Um, but the unexpected thing that we brought home was the certain knowledge that a stranger thought our handmade goods were valuable. I actually remember when I swapped for, I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I really do think it was for the, the chia pudding, um, that there was some hesitation on the part of the other person but that it had gotten sort of later in the swap and a lot of people had already made their trades. So I felt like she gave in maybe a little reluctantly um, and I didn't care. <laughs> yes, I really wanted the pudding. <laughs> um, but it, just, it's, it, it, it still gave me a moment of pause where I was like, aren't my napkins good enough? Don't you want my napkins? For my children watching them, there was never that moment because they never doubted for a minute that someone would think their art was valuable. I remember the woman who swapped for our son's elephant picture. And she, I remember her so clearly. She did not seem to me like she had her own children there. I don't know if that means she had children or that they just weren't present that day. But she seemed to really like kids, um, which not every you know, lots of people have kids. And they don't necessarily like all kids. She seemed to really enjoy children. And she seemed to really like this piece of art and and said with the most sincere enthusiasm, this is going to look great on my fridge. Like she had this aura about her as if she would have been the best elementary school art teacher in the world, you know? Just this absolute sincerity, but also a very broad definition of what constitutes art and beauty. And it, it came out of her as this wave of kindness that I will never forget. My kids came away with a certain confidence that the things they make with their hands are valuable. I really had to rein myself in from warning them off, you know, like I wanted to prevent them from experiencing disappointment. And then I realized it became conscious to me, I'm trying to prevent them from experiencing disappointment. That's probably not a good idea. It was hard. It was hard. It was hard not to say, you know what, just, just leave that home. Better not to try than to fail. <laughs> and then, right, like, so you start to have that conscious thought and go, oh, oh, that's what I'm doing. My I did caution them, full disclosure, transparency, I did caution them that maybe nobody would put their name down. And that was okay, you know? But I only said that when they asked, right? Like in the car on the way there, 
the two of them are saying, well, what if nobody, what if nobody asks? And I said, that's okay. You don't have to trade. Because I realized the value wasn't what they got for their art. It was offering them the opportunity to see themselves as creators. People who can make things with their own hands, that their work is worthy of trading for someone else's work. Um, I'm just so grateful for the people at that event. They were genuinely excited to take home my children's hand drawings. Meeting that woman was something I needed. I needed to meet another adult who looked at a child's work and modeled for me how to experience art in a new way, how to experience the handmade in a new way. What she gave my child was so much bigger than, than the piece of art they traded. It was knowledge at a very young age that they are makers, that their work matters. I remain truly grateful for that. My point in telling this story today is that I I didn't get that message growing up. Um, I remember super, super clearly in high school between 10th and 11th grade, uh, maybe between 11th and 12th grade, the, we were getting ready to register for school for the following year, which a lot of students are doing around this time. It's springtime, you know, and they're getting ready to register for next school year, choose their classes. And I had an opening in my schedule and wanted to consider taking art. And the way my high school building was was constructed, like a lot of people's, we had an older building that had run out of room. And so they built a secondary new building, which I think I think every American high school used to call that new building the new building. And so over in the new building was where they had the art classroom. Big studio, lots of light, ground floor, green windows, you know standard government construction and I remember going over there with one of my girlfriends and some of the kids who were already enrolled in art were there working on like an after-school project I think and the art teacher was there and I was saying oh you know I would like to to maybe take art next year and she said girls don't do art girls do crafts I I truly hope you are appalled by that because I have had to I've had to sit myself down and be like am I remembering that right? Like I've had to go back and ask my mom, do you remember this thing that I remember? It really happened. It really, a female art teacher told a student in 1991 that girls don't make art, girls do crafts. And I left that room and never went back. As someone who's everyday job today involves making things, I am, I'm not just appalled, I'm actually disgusted by the fact that someone said that to me. I don't want my kids to have that experience. Um, I don't want you to have that experience, but I'm pretty sure a lot of you did. I don't want anyone who makes their own clothing to ever think that their clothing is worth less than what is available on the shelf at the store. Um, and y- y- these days, you you really shouldn't. Like there are there are online shops whose sole purpose is to sell the leftover garment fabric from the major labels. So the stuff that you make at home is the same as the stuff you buy in the store. You can even use the same fabric. 
so the idea that our creative endeavors have been devalued for so long, so long that I subconsciously thought to discourage my own children from trading their art for someone else's handcrafts, that's crazy town. So I'm enormously grateful for the other influences in my life that led me to be conscious of that thought six years ago, to step in with myself and shake myself and say, "Mm, maybe that's not the message that I want to communicate. I'm so grateful for Homestead Atlanta and the Atlanta Craft Swap community for giving us a venue and an opportunity for me to kind of like work through those feelings and for my children to have that experience. Um, And so I'm telling the story again now as a way of encouraging all of us to be conscious, to pay attention to the times when we unwittingly limit ourselves, devalue ourselves, think less of our own work because we made it with our own hands. It's, It's art. What you're making, practical, impractical, visionary or pedestrian what you are making when you create and sew is art have fun sewing this episode of the whip stitch podcast is brought to you by the league of dressmakers the league of dressmakers is an online community leading you to sew fearlessly with over 250 sewing videos that guide you step-by-step to the next sewing project in your evolution. Join us for downloads, community sew-alongs, and exclusive patterns at League of Dressmakers. That's L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com. 